Hi, you're listening to the House Call Doctor's Quick and Dirty Tips for taking charge of your health, and I'm your host, Dr. Majd. If you learn anything here in my podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcasts. Your review really will help make my podcast possible and hopefully make it even better. It also will help boost the show so that more people can find it. You can now also follow me on my new Instagram page as well, at dr.s.majd. Either way, I am thankful for all of you that listen to my podcasts every week and read my social media posts and leave comments. Thank you for your support always. So in part one of a review of medical tests that you may not actually need, I shared the reasons why there seems to be a cycle of over-testing in this country, starting with the media's overpowering influence, referring mostly to TV and the internet, on people to push for expensive tests and costly drugs when it comes to their health. This in turn pressures doctors into ordering unnecessary exams in order to please patients who rate them on Yelp and other non-quality measuring surveys. Patients are actually really customers in our current healthcare system, just like any other business. So this shoots healthcare costs through the roof. At the heart of the issue that we should be asking right now is, should healthcare be a business? Is it ethical for it to be so? As things stand, the lines are blurred and our state of healthcare continues to suffer for it. It's a slippery slope. Should financial decisions be influencing the practice of medicine? Well, how can it not if it affects patient decisions? Then how can it not affect your healthcare? Should your doctor be distracted by financial factors and their desire to please the patient? Or should they practice medicine using their expertise and training without external influences like that? I'll leave these questions for us to ponder for now. But let's pick up where we left off. In our first segment on medical tests you don't actually need, we dissected the reasons that we typically don't need some commonly ordered tests, but think that we do, including vitamin D levels, shoulder knee MRIs, hormone levels, and blood typing. Today, let's review the next set of four. Before I go on, just a short word from our sponsor that truly makes the House Call Doctor podcast possible. These days, we all know that you can buy just about anything on Amazon, from shoes to bed sheets to small appliances. It's quick and it's convenient, and it can also support our show. And here's how. Go to quickanddirtytips.com Amazon. Click the link at the top of the page, and you'll be taken to the Amazon homepage. Then add whatever you'd like to your Amazon shopping cart, and then check out as you normally would. In doing so, you can help support the work that we're doing here at QDT to provide high-quality content from blog posts to books to podcasts like this one. Again, that's quickanddirtytips.com slash Amazon. Thank you. So number five, testosterone levels. For those of you who listen to my podcast or read my articles, you knew that this one was coming, right? I've actually dedicated an entire podcast to this one. The low T rage has taken up a storm in the last decade or so, thanks to the fortune-hungry pharmaceutical companies that have largely driven this fad. Men in their 20s, they seek Dr. Google for a cure for their depression and fatigue, 
while middle-aged men yearn for more robust stamina or some fountain of youth. And low T really seems to be the answer to it all. First of all, similar to the vitamin D controversy, experts don't agree on what is considered a normal level. So that makes it tough for doctors to determine the appropriate target levels when treating the patient. Next, symptoms like depression, fatigue, and low libido are all complex medical issues that are often multifactorial, meaning that they are influenced and caused by multiple factors. Low testosterone alone is unlikely to be the sole cause, if at all. Also, studies on testosterone are mixed and inconclusive. That's right. Currently, we don't really have a lot of evidence to back up the efficacy of testosterone treatment. A placebo, however, is a powerful drug that's well-established in the scientific community. Now, I'm not saying that it's all a placebo effect by no means, but we simply just need more solid answers before jumping on this low-T bandwagon, if we do so. Testosterone treatment is also not risk-free. According to research studies, it can cause infertility, worsen sleep apnea, potentially feed a hidden prostate cancer or enlarge a prostate, cause blood clots, or even increase the risks of cardiovascular disease like heart attack and stroke. I've actually placed links to some of these studies on the script to this podcast on the quickanddirtytips.com page for the house call doctor. As with everything, we must weigh pros and cons before making decisions for each patient when it comes to controversial tests like testosterone levels. Number six, routine EKDs. So speaking of heart disease, it's the number one killer of men and women in the U.S. And there was a time, perhaps, when routine electrocardiograms, or EKGs, were run during physical exams. And I believe the military still performs them, if I'm not mistaken, in order to help identify those with potential risks for cardiovascular disease. And by routine... I mean performed as a preventative test for asymptomatic people, not for those with chest pain, heart palpitations, or symptoms of potential cardiac issues. That's a whole different ballgame. But not any longer. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, or USPSTF, is one of the primary expert groups that set guidelines for practicing doctors. They conclude that based on current evidence, the harm of routine EKGs on asymptomatic low-risk patients outweighs the benefits and therefore recommend against it. The USPSTF also states that there is currently not enough evidence to recommend it in asymptomatic but intermediate or high-risk people. Why would a simple EKG harm anyone, you might be thinking? Well, the test itself is harmless. You simply lie on a table while electrodes that are placed on your chest take a reading of your cardiac activity printed on a piece of paper. And that's done all in the office. However, it's the downstream effects of the test that may lead to more harm than good when compared to not having it performed in the first place at all. For instance, if there's a blip on a routine EKG, It doesn't mean that you have heart disease or that this blip will ever pose any health consequences for you in the future. But now that it's there, it's not easy to ignore and now we have to dig in. And an EKG is not typically diagnostic. It's simply a tool 
to determine if more studies may be needed. Therefore, a simple blip may lead to more invasive procedures like angiography, which carry potentially serious risks such as bleeding, radiation exposure, and kidney damage, and not to mention any harm from the side effects of medications prescribed as a result of these blips, such as statins or aspirin. Meanwhile, if the EKG findings were never even discovered in the first place, it may never have caused any health consequences. Conversely, just because an EKG is normal, it doesn't mean that heart disease doesn't exist either. Confusing, I know. Well, this is a prime example of how the harms and benefits of all tests and medicine really should be considered before execution. Number seven, allergy titers. Do you suffer from hay fever? Sneezing, itchy, watery eyes, runny nose, post-nasal drip, or perhaps an annoying seasonal cough that your doctor has said is because of allergies? Well, yes, many of us do. Or perhaps you've experienced a mild rash on your arms that your doctor said may be allergic. Well, mild allergies like this are common. Many of us simply live with it, and we may never really require treatment. For others with more bothersome symptoms that actually interfere with the quality of life, however, treatment may be worthwhile. Do you need allergy testing in order to get treatment? Well, the truth is, no matter what environmental allergen is causing your symptoms, for most people who have mild allergies, the treatment is really the same. Intranasal steroids for the cough post-nasal drip, and or antihistamines for the itchy, watery eyes, runny nose, and sneezing. And for less responsive symptoms to the standard treatment, other prescription pills are also available. Blood allergy testing is not exactly high yield. The blood titers measure the amount of antibodies or proteins that your immune system produces in response to a perceived foreign invader. And unless you've had enough exposure to that particular foreign invader within the recent past, and how much exposure we don't really know, your levels can be normal, even though you may indeed still be allergic to pollen, for example. And if it does show elevated antibody levels to pollen, pollen may actually not be what's actually causing you to sneeze all day long. The panel doesn't test for every environmental allergen in the world. It can't. We're limited. So even though the panel often tests the most common allergens, your particular allergy may be triggered by something entirely different. So what will you do with the final, often non-revealing results? Whether it reveals an allergy to pollen or grass, if it's mild, we're really going to attack it using the same treatment in the end anyways. And same goes for food allergy panels, by the way. Allergy panels do have a potential role on occasion, however, yet mostly in those with more severe allergies or in those potentially life-threatening cases of angioedema, which is lip swelling or throat swelling, or a history of anaphylaxis. In these instances, the blood titers can make a huge difference in how we manage it because the avoidance of that one allergen will be paramount in preventing future life-threatening events short of living in a bubble. The cost of these allergy panels? 
Well, hundreds, possibly even more, possibly a thousand or more. What may be more useful than a non-diagnostic, potentially confusing blood test and those with mild or moderate allergies who require more investigation is perhaps skin testing, which is performed by an allergist. But again, always ask yourself this question. Will taking that extra step to see the allergist or obtain that extra testing actually change my outcome or the treatment that I choose? And lastly, number eight, vaccine titers. This is not an infrequent request from my patients because new employers often request proof of vaccines and some adults no longer have proof of their childhood immunizations on paper. But your employer wants proof that you've had the the measles, mumps, rubella, or the varicella vaccine before they hire you and expose you potentially to other employees. So the blood titers will test the antibodies to these infections, proof that your immune system can mount that response if they're exposed. But simply obtaining the vaccine, whether you've had it before or not, is more efficient not to mention much, much less costly than drawing your blood test for these protein particles. Is that what I would do? Yes, knowing everything that I know about vaccines, I would definitely get the vaccine instead of having my blood drawn. Because what often happens is that the blood test will reveal non-immunity, and then the patient will have to come back for that vaccine in the end anyways. All after receiving a costly bill for hundreds of dollars, sometimes more, that insurance companies will ultimately deny coverage of. They are not obligated to cover anything that is mandated for job-related activity. And as I've mentioned, antibody testing is not cheap. So there you go, eight medical tests that are commonly ordered and performed but may not be necessary. So now you can take this information to your doctor and have a discussion together and come up with a plan. So share your ideas and learn more quick and dirty tips with us on the House Call Doctors Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest pages. And if you learned anything here today, or if you simply enjoy all things medical, you can also listen and subscribe to the House Call Doctor podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And as I mentioned before, now I am on Instagram. Please note that all content here is strictly for informational purposes only. It does not substitute any medical advice and it doesn't replace any medical judgment or reasoning by your own personal health provider. So please always seek a licensed physician in your area regarding all health-related questions and issues. And thanks again for listening to this episode of The House Call Doctor. I hope you stay healthy and I'll catch you next time.